Carolyn, I'm here to say that Nick was gay in a major way. Thanks. Hi, I'm Carol, and that's Devin, and we're t- we're got- we've lost the plot. You can I just say what? I think you landed that joke <laughs> precisely with the skill Thank of you. an Olympic diver. Thank you very much. That was I made that joke before I started reading the book. Yeah, you so. actually made it last week on the podcast, and it got edited out. Yeah, and then. I was told to repeat it for this particular podcast. So okay, if you were not tell. told. You decided. I believe I was told. I believe you. Now d- back to my point. If you couldn't tell, we read The Great Gatsby. <laughs> there are several Nixon literature, but I was hoping that everyone knew which one was gay in a major way. Yeah. Are there any other books with main characters named Nick who are also gay? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that there's not a lot of gay Nicks in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't think that's a very gay name. Um, I'm looking up the phrase celebrities named Nick. Okay, now I have to play this game. So, let's just see. Uh, we're off the rails a minute in. Already. Yeah, we are killing it. Famous people named Nick. Okay. Oh, um, yeah, none of these people look gay. Yeah, see, I was Nick Carter. All right, well. <laughs> Nick Jonas. What am I kidding? It's Nick Jonas. <laughs> we, we don't want to, we don't want to assume that anybody is gay. Mm, yeah, I guess. I mean, I had to deal with people doing that about me for years. And I mean, they were right, but it still hurt. Devin is a very gay name. Is it? Kevin isn't, but Devin is. Can I tell you a story? Can I please hijack this book podcast to tell you a great funny story? Yes. Uh, So for my entire life, whenever anybody named Kevin is called, I think they're calling my name. Yeah. Like in school, there's a kid named Kevin and I would always turn and it was never me. And... At Renaissance Fair last Sorry, year, there was, like there was a woman named Bevan, and I always thought that they were calling for me. But the other day in the health center, I was picking up a prescription, and I heard the person at the pharmacy counter called Devin, and I turned at the same time as another boy who turned his head. And I went, did you say Devin? And he said, I thought she said Kevin. And she said, no, I said Devin. For the first time in my life, that happened you, to me. And I said to him, that was, it was I looked Kevin in the eyes and I said, this has never happened to me before and I've never been happier. <laughs> I'm sure that, that Kevin was thinking, man, this must be what it feels like to be to Devin all the time. Be, to be knocked down a peg in the Evan scale and Evan! How dare you talk that's about a name. <laughs> Our, all of our namesakes. Uh, little known fact, every single Devin, Kevin, Bevin are all descended from the great Evan. <laughs> the great Evan. Yeah, who is gay, actually, by coincidence. <laughs> We've now gone full circle with this horrible joke, right, anyway. and we can't start. So over the past two weeks, we read The Great Gatsby. Uh, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes. So, pulling back the curtain a bit, Fahrenheit 451 is one of my favorite books of all time. I usually say it is my favorite book. And, Caro, this book is one of your favorite books. It is. I don't want to sound like a high schooler who's never read another book. <laughs> but, like, Great Gatsby's so good. And I know that's, like, highly contested, but I think it's so good and, like, so pretty. And it's, like, one of those books that you can absolutely visualize every single second of it and like that's why i love the movie adaptation so much i just i I rewatched the movie today oh did you so i i actually do want to talk about that a bit i did not rewatch the movie on purpose because i didn't want it to color my part of the discussion at all but it's interesting that you did um because i'm not i'm not a huge fan so to be frank i'm not a huge fan of this book or wasn't until i read it again and i wasn't a change of heart. A little change of heart. Uh, Devin has his first I, growth as a character. 
<laughs> I do genuinely believe that Great Gatsby is one of those books that like the it's really good, but if you don't have like a good teacher introduce it to you or if you don't have a very good foundation or they focus on like the wrong points in the novel it can absolutely ruin it because it's genuinely a fun book carol you just you just, you just strolled right into one of the points of this podcast just i just did. walked right I in just, right why this this is why we're here i'm gonna talk about why it's actually a good book and Devin will also talk about it but i'm gonna do it in a different way <laughs> yes so do you wanna oh actually we we have to move on to our first segment everybody's favorite uh, song yes uh, segment the 60 second recap. I like I like really practice for this one. You, that's not fair. <laughs> no, because I wanted I had a joke in my head and I was like I have to let this breathe and become reality and so you're gonna have to let me do my joke and it it's under 60 seconds so you're cool. Okay, okay. So since obviously you're gonna win this week, um, <laughs> who went first last time? I went first, right? You did. So yeah. Okay, but I don't want to have to follow your super funny so- like. <laughs> Seinfeld-esque joke here. <laughs> okay, so you can go first. Okay, I'll, I'll time go first. You. So please... Thir- uh, you get a minute? I get a minute, and you have to count me okay, down. Okay, five, four, three, two, one, go. So, The Great Gatsby is the story of the uh, Nick Carraway and Jay Gatsby and Daisy Buchanan during the 1920s, question mark, and yes. Nick lives in one of the eggs and got... <laughs> <laughs> with, with Gatsby, <laughs> um, and he is in the uh, Nick is in the Vons business, and Gatsby is in the question mark business, uh, and it's basically <laughs> a, a story of privilege and lost love and uh, and of masculinity in a lot of ways. And uh, the major plot points are that uh, Nick goes to Gatsby party. Gatsby meet Nick. Uh, Gatsby find out that Daisy is cousin of Nick. Daisy. And Gatsby meet, um, uh, da- uh, Daisy love Gatsby, uh, Gatsby <laughs> and Tom don't like each other because Tom married to Daisy, but Tom also has other lady, uh, and that lady gets run over by a car. And, okay, done. Oh, <laughs> You're done. <laughs> I was so close. I felt really good about that one. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but now it is my turn. All right. I, did you see how I went for the funny? Because I knew I was going to lose. You, you did go for the funny, but that was just like you missing words and like putting it in weird tenses. Yeah, so well, like... that's my school of comedy. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Okay. Three, right. two, one, go. Nikki C. Or, oh, fuck. Start counting me down again and cut it out. No, absolutely not. You're five seconds in. Go, uh, go, go. Okay. Nikki C. You just missed the craziest of crazies. Booze. Girls. New York. Money. Love. Cars. Gatsby. Love confession. Cheating. Argument. Hitting an adulteress with a car. Murder. Suicide. Telling the story because technically you're an alcoholic with major anxiety. Thanks. That's The Great Gatsby. Well, you just, you want to sing a little song or something? Because you had 35 <laughs> seconds left. <laughs> Nope, that's it. I did it. What was what was that? Was that a was that a uh, Great Gatsby as teenage coming of age movie the trailer? Because that's what that was that's... to me. <laughs> um, my brand of comedy is taking Gatsby and putting it into dumb quotes. Um, I have noticed I that a lot like... of your comedy is Gatsby focused. <laughs> is Gatsby a line? You always like bring up Gatsby, Gatsby. You pull out a copy out of your pocket, and we go, Caro, and please I'm like, stop. We gotta talk about. Gatsby, yeah. Um, well, I had like my Gatsby welcome to my crib, like MTV Cribs joke. Oh, please tell that one again. That old chestnut. <laughs> we all know what you're talking about. We all know. We, the listeners <laughs> and myself, all know what you're talking about. But please, uh, 
because everything's funnier the 57th time I've heard it. Please <laughs> tell us the joke again. I feel like you're bullying me, and I feel like I shouldn't go into this joke. No, no, I actually, you should, you should tell it. What up, MTV, and welcome to my house. It's in West Egg, different from East Egg, but not that yummy protein. My name's Jay Gatsby, but you can call me Jay Gats. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hate that a lot. That's real good. Um, I can... <laughs> Check out my sweet ride. It's custom made. Yes, it's yellow. We'll get into that later. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> um. So so I I would like to set up a bit of contrast of <laughs> last week in the podcast. Our tone of discussion really matched the book. I feel it was yeah. intelligent and somber. This week we've gone off the rails. We have, but that's respectable. Oh no, definitely a- I'm about it. It's just okay. to be clear. A lot of people die in this book, and it's a pretty tragic book. Yeah. Yeah, th- three people die. But it's like in a... They all die in, like, this ridiculous way. So, like, it's like... It's a different tone from Fahrenheit 451, which is, like, a cautionary tale, kind of, not really. And then this book, which is a lot... You know, I don't want to keep singing, but you keep making me sing. But you know that song in Chicago that's, like, stay away from jazz and like yeah yeah (laughs) that's this whole book is that yeah and actually so i want to talk about this a little Mm -hmm. bit i feel like it's also kind of a cautionary tale but the difference here is like nick is telling it in a very past tense way that i think is really interesting like it reads it reads like an essay with like a with like a thesis but the thesis isn't fitzgerald's it's nick's it's Nick, like, Nick is such a fantastic narrator, in my opinion, because he is outside of the story and inside of the story, and it's completely interesting how, like, it's third person, but, like, not, it's, like, third person and third person objective, but also first person, and that's so interesting, and it's, like, you're constantly changing points of view because he's like talking to Gatsby and then he's describing Gatsby in like such a outside narrator kind of way and it's it it reads like such a memory that it's incredible Um, and and to me I have this in my notes somewhere I don't have it in the google doc but the way Nick narrates is way different than how he speaks and he doesn't speak that much in the book But when he does, it's uh, simple to the point and, like, serves the story, whereas his inner monologue is very flowery and very gorgeous, and uh, it definitely is a visual novel in the way he describes things, which I think is really interesting today when we have a lot of our media is so, 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 so visual, and yet we're seeing a bit of a, a look back in like things like podcasts where where we're moving back towards being able to visualize things right from our media without having to see them and i believe that there is a quote from tom while he's having he was at the beginning of the book when he invited uh he invited nick to his sex suite or whatever yep it really is with Myrtle, and that's what I'm going to call it. And he mentions that Nick has always liked to watch. And at first, you think that's kind of like an offhand or like gross comment. Yeah. But he like literally means that Nick does not like to involve himself in storylines or anything. He likes to watch from afar yeah. and make his own comments. And Nick is obsessed with this idea of honesty throughout the whole book. And I do think it's very poignant that he doesn't speak a lot, but when he does, he is being completely true with what he's saying yes and that kind everyone else is lying while the only things that he'll actually contribute to a conversation is the truth yeah and he actually he literally uh in a conversation with jordan uh says every man thinks himself guilty of one virtue uh 
cardinal virtue and i can say that right. i am the most honest man i've ever met right but that's so interesting and i think we should in in a in a second go back and kind of go through chrono- chronologically but i think you've hit on a thing that just popped into my head of one of the biggest symbols that everybody talks about when they talk about gatsby are is the billboard with the eyes being god symbol. and everything but yes how much do, of that links to nick but we'll touch on this a, a, a little bit here and then go back to it later, yeah. that Nick talks about Gatsby in a way that exposes his god complex. He like talks about how Gatsby kind of thinks he's a god. And yeah. then he talks about the eyes above the Valley of Ashes, which we can get into a whole thing about the Valley of Ashes. And yes. in the same way, Nick presides over this story like a god, as if it's all been, which it has, been predestined because it's already happened. But that allows yes. him to play god with the story in a way that's very interesting where he, he doesn't he doesn't tell like he jumps very succinctly and very purposefully between the important parts of the story like he just is like then this cool thing happened then this cool thing happened between those two things was like normal work like normal like i got real good at bonds yeah he's like but that's not what this book is about yeah like it's i do like that is that he acknowledges like passages of time but like very casually like a real person i don't know i think that nick carraway is just a really good narrator especially for this story yeah so let's hop on back to the beginning uh the book starts with nick laying out the story right and talk it starts with like a quote from his dad right yes which i have in my notes the first line oh i have i have the phrase first line 2017 Mm -hmm. as expletive i won't i don't want to say too much on this podcast Good, but good. the first the first paragraph includes a quote from his dad that says, "Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had." And to yes. me, it's so interesting that within the first phrase of a book that's about the twenties and about a time that has over and over in recent years been compared to now, the, that he, he he says something that is so twenty seventeen, that is, "Hey, very, acknowledge your privilege, acknowledge the advantages that you have." And that's the kind of thing that older generations really don't like when we talk about. No, and I absolutely love this. And it adds to how timeless this novel feels, which I just want to briefly get into. I have a running theory that you can place The Great Gatsby in any time period you want, and it will still completely make sense. Yeah, that's Um, so interesting. My favorite being if there was like an 80s adaptation. Oh, yeah. The Great Gatsby. Which, it could fit perfectly in the 80s. Can we put that into a bit of a... Get into our big, our big, big topic. The gayness of <laughs> Nick Carraway. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Which uh, literally still works chronologically because on page two he describes Gatsby. It's the first time he does. Yes, he is. He said, I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. Only Gatsby was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby throughout this whole novel is the only exemption to any rule and you are the only exemption (laughs) you (laughs) you are too much and stop (laughs) but like you you see him talk about how much he hates uh like rich people not rich people but like really privileged people and how he thinks that they live such a ridiculous life and how it's not sustainable and then you see him talk about how much he hates just dishonesty and gatsby fits all of the above but he whenever Gatsby talks to him he still is like in awe of this yeah man. and I think that a lot of that comes down to the fact that he sees 
a recognition in Gatsby that he has in himself. Because uh, he, yes. he says that Gatsby w- represented everything for which he had unaffected scorn. But there was something gorgeous about him, some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life. Again, a, a romantic readiness, as I've yes. never found in another person, which is like... Gatsby has the romantic idea of privilege while understanding that it's a farce. Yes. Which I think Nick is taken by. Heavily attracted to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, both both as like a human being who has a lot of questions and is searching for the answer, answers himself, and also as a gay man. (laughs) Um, Yes, Nick Carraway is undoubtedly gay, and I'm as just real fast on the topic, Jordan Baker is just a very tall lesbian, and I do love her. Alright, well I appreciate your thesis. That's just my thesis. There's not a lot of well, backup yeah, to that. It's just it's what I do, want. They do say that they like they're They don't they would be like it's uh I guess my only proof of Jordan Baker being gay is the fact that she doesn't like uh Nick Carraway when <laughs> which is bad. Well but like in most novels that would work right, out. Right. And I think that in this that there are like points when like he alludes to the fact that they might have done something or like in the in a car at one point he brings her to his face but that's the most we get and i don't yeah. think that i don't think it's much of a stretch to make I just... nick and jordan very much just two gay people that have found like a real companionship that that i think nope, is really I compelling think that works completely because there is of course the famous uh, scene and a very controversial scene where nick wakes up in the bed with another man that yes when i first read i was like well huh and there's also so <laughs> i i actually i wrote down uh, one of my notes on my pages just just all capitals gay with a page for each one <laughs> like when he describes even tom buchanan who is he, he revolting is emphasizing he's but he emphasizes how like handsome tom and, is and how strong yeah. tom is and how talented he is and it's very much someone who is attracted in a way to tom buchanan because i mean he is supposed to be what the all-american man right yeah he is he he's kind of like Ernest hemingway <laughs> in terms of physique thought... like not in terms of like the that generation of writers Ernest hemingway yeah. is presented as this image of masculinity I would just say Jack Kerouac, but this is a very pretentious conversation. <laughs> yeah, so we can just we can just keep going. <laughs> Who's stronger, Ernest Hemingway or Jack Kerouac? <laughs> anyway, so during the <laughs> when Tom breaks, it's the party at which Tom breaks Mrs. McKee's breaks nose. Myrtle's nose. Myrtle's nose. My bad. Myrtle, Myrtle's nose. Which is a very frightening mm. scene, in my opinion. Yes. It's so good. Um, we can definitely, I want to talk about masculinity as a whole and the men in Gatsby yes. as opposed to the women in Gatsby. But the second that Mr. McKee is introduced, it's a very, it's a very, as a, as a queer man, it was charged. Like it was very obviously to me, a, like a pretty gay introduction. They don't even mention his yeah. wife until like a paragraph later. There's a very big point in the book that Nick Carraway describes the men in very heavy detail and then not the women at all. He's like, also Daisy was there and she's in a white dress. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, I think the one time we do get that is the first scene, if we can hop all the way back, uh, Nick has moved to West Egg. Uh, right next to Gatsby's mansion. He's in a small, a, a very small house, but he still has a cleaning lady, which I think we should get to. Uh, and then yeah, he's invited uh, over to me. Tom Buchanan's mansion over on East Egg, and he walks into this parlor room where, and this is one of 
uh, Fitzgerald's like amazing visual scenes, which was recreated very perfectly in the movie, yes, is it was. the room with open French doors on either side with white drapes, f- like basically flowing. F- flowing and filling the room yeah. with Daisy and Jordan, like seemingly drunk on life alone, draped over this couch. Yes. It's a beautiful scene. I think every scene. I think Baz Luhrmann's a fantastic director. Thanks. His ro- his Romeo and Juliet's very good. He is. He just really loves Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, who doesn't? That dreamboat. Uh, stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me. So I am bad at the narrative structure of this book. So if you want to kind of lead us through the plot. Yes. Yes. and stop where we well, want to discuss me? so okay yeah so we start yeah so we i kind of talked about the beginning we start where nick describes his family and how wealthy they are like wealthy kind of but respectable definitely yes and actually but the way they gained this respect is pretty bad yes if you want to yes so actually First i was going to bring this up um one of the main points that i put into the google doc is just the way that Gatsby talks about privilege and it's one of the main conceits of the book and the way that the Caraways were able to become even more well to well off was that uh who was it in relation to Nick like his grandfather his grandfather sent a substitute to the civil war uh back so that the Caraways could make a business and build right so if you were rich enough you could send a substitute in your place and then that the fact that you were not off at war meant you could get even more rich. And it's one of the ways that a lot of the robber barons of the late 19th century and early 20th century began to amass their wealth. It's also how the Trump family amassed their wealth. Our first Trump III moment is the fact (laughs) that Trump got a draft deferment during Vietnam because of bone spurs in his heels. Yeah, um, for bone spurs, which is ridiculous and also completely code for he just didn't want to go. That was like... Right, and that did allow him bad. to spend time here making to, more money. And so Right, so if he didn't go to the war in the 60s, that meant he got to spend the 60s and the 70s and eventually the 80s building his real estate empire, which made him the man he is today, building upon his father's money. Yes, so, so avoiding... The privilege that is not having to go to war perpetuates it's privilege. Extremely, yeah, it's an extremely privileged opportunity. Yes, and it's something that, that Gatsby and Nick did not avoid. Yes, it's very important to the story that both Nick and Gatsby served in World War One. It, it completely builds their character, I think. It definitely adds to Nick's idea of honesty and perhaps adds to why he gives gatsby so much like leeway, yeah and so much that's the right word? so much respect he, outright yeah, he completely respects gatsby especially all of gatsby's war stories that he gets into which are uh probably fabricated yeah which hurt which, which hurts my soul um and as a badass but right and as a as a member of a military family it it does definitely inform the way nick thinks and the way he speaks to the reader and the way gatsby speaks and acts and the way Daisy does being the lover soulmate of somebody who had to go off to war. Like, I think war, this is as much, this is going to sound really pretentious, but we're here. We have a book podcast. It's okay. It's this okay. book is almost as much it, it, a, war, a book about war as it is a book about privilege, as it is a book about masculinity, as it is a book about everything. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I believe that's 
True. So take us to the next plot point. Let's get on the plot yes. train. Next, chugga chugga choo choo. The next plot point is so we already talked about Daisy and Tom, and they have this very tumultuous relationship as exhibited by them yelling at each other. There's this theme of a phone ringing, and the phone, the person on the other end of the phone is Myrtle, the mistress. But but Daisy knows, everyone knows that Tom has a mistress. So Which like is the very phone ringing adds this tension, and it's very beautifully done. I know that not everyone likes the Great Gatsby movie, but that he it is so good at exhibiting the tension in the room by the sound of like the phone and it's a it's a theme throughout the story and then that moves into chapter two where you're introduced to the valley of ashes that's what yes. it's called yes and the eyes of dr dr tj eckleberg yes and so uh this uh plays into one of the really amazing things that Gatsby does as a novel that Fitzgerald does, and that's the use of locations. There really are only four locations in this book, uh, taking out the place that Gatsby and Nick go together and right. the the sex apartment. We really have the Buchanan's home, Gatsby's home, and the Valley of Ashes. And then you have Nick's home as well that, again, is only seen in one scene one but important it's a very scene. important scene, so we can include that in the yeah, four. <laughs> but yeah. that means that this is a really small, contained story, and like you said, it's chapter two. There are only nine chapters in this book. Right. It's a very short and book. It's a very and it's a short story. It happened story. over the course of a summer, right? Right. Yeah, it's told seven years later. Seven. Yes, years later. Right. So you have these this old billboard of a they call him a like a long forgotten optometrist named TJ Dr. TJ Eckelberg and his eyes are on the cover of the book, like every single copy of the book, and they constantly watch over both like the Valley of Ashes, New York, and the like West and East Egg. Like they seem to look over everything, which gives it this quality of being kind of like a metaphor for the eyes of god in this increasingly godless society which i don't yes. know if that's quite what f scott was going for but it's definitely how it it feels yeah and i definitely think it can be a uh, god looking down on how another thing that i've written down the way that wealth corrupts inherently right the right. um the way that the the eyes are over Tom's this. mistress's house and yes. and her husband talks points to them and talks to them as though they are god. Yes, and the fact that it's located in the dumping ground for the rich. Yes. Like this billboards in the dumping ground and the valley of ashes is where they put oil and coal and everything that was once used before and it's where the poor people and live. It's, that live and it's a kind of inherent liminal space between yes. where the rich live and where the rich work yes or, or where, where they, they play, play. <laughs> yeah and it's it, it is it definitely i cannot name a lot of places in literature that act like such a liminal space which is do you want to d- define a liminal space Devbot? a liminal or? space is a space between uh, that has a sort of altered energy or feeling so the one that I always bring up is like a rest stop at on a right. highway because the human brain is wired in an, an endpoint way. So there's no point to stopping at a rest stop. It's it's between things in your brain, and so right. it feels somehow different. And that's how the Valley of Ashes acts in this book. Even when he describes it, he he doesn't he says that the buildings and the people and everything is made out of these ashes. Right. 
and it's just it's a place where not it does have a big plot points in it but it's not like very significant but like the like, right, the place is not significant, but but the action that is right that goes down there is extremely significant, and it's just a very it's I think it's very hard to describe a liminal place, and somehow they do. Taro, it do you hear those sirens? Like, no. Well, I do, and it's because oh, now our do. discussion we're we're on fire, and they're coming <laughs> to put us out. I can't really. It's really raining over here. I and, think it also um, is raining here too. In the big mass hole. So. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to the Valley of Ashes. The most important thing, arguably, in the book happens here. When way late in the book, Daisy and Gatsby, Daisy driving in Gatsby's car, runs over Myrtle, Tom Buchanan's mistress, and effectively kills her. Uh, yeah, and, and kills her on the spot. Which yes. eventually, yeah, uh, without any, she has absolutely like it's very important that Gatsby or not Gatsby that Daisy has. But pretty much no sympathy for what she's done. Gatsby doesn't really either, because it's seen as a way to get even, you know, because it's like killing an hmm. adulteress. I think. Yeah, I actually. That's, that's how I've always read it. It's like a very discomforting because Nick is absolutely like he's upset and he's enraged that they would murder someone in such cold blood. And Gatsby doesn't really care. He's more worried about how Daisy's handling it. And Daisy's yes. handling it very well. Yes. So, <laughs> so I, I think, uh, to me, the way I read it was that Gatsby went into kind of damage control mode and went right. into the legal aspect of it. He hid the car. Yeah. And he fired his whole staff. And the way Daisy deals with it is kind of by shutting down um, right. in some ways. And I, I, I never read it. I didn't know that Daisy knew who it was. No, I, I think she one hundred percent knew who it was. Hmm, that's really interesting. I just, it may have just been me that I didn't read it that way. (laughs) It also might have been that I read it last night. (laughs) I finished it five minutes before we started this podcast, (laughs) so we had two weeks to read. Yes, we did. Making your own uh, agenda is very dumb. Yes. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So back to where we were. Back to where we were. So we just got out of chapter two. Um, we kind of mentioned this. Uh, chapter two has a lot of big points. I think it's the introduction of Myrtle. It's the eyes. There's a scene where she's where Myrtle is like Daisy, 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 and then Tom Buchanan hits her because he doesn't want to hear her name on the adulteress's mouth. And then there's this kind of question of Nick's sexuality at the very end because he wakes up in bed with another man. It's kind of like hazy. Yeah, and it's preceded but... by dot dot dot. Right. Like, it comes Which out is... of nowhere at the end of chapter two, and it just I... is a dot, Which dot, in, dot. In Mamma Mia. That's, that's exactly kind what of I a, thought of. I believe there's a whole song in Mamma Mia about dot, dot, oh dot. Oh, my God. So that's exactly I... <laughs> what I was thinking of. God. Honey, honey, how <laughs> he thrills me. Uh-huh. Ah, honey, honey, honey. This honey. is our musical episode, apparently. Hello, and welcome to the musical episode of We've Lost the Plot. <laughs> We're so um, sorry. <laughs> so chapter three is my favorite chapter in the whole book please go uh, on. so i'm gonna really like f- uh, sorry i know i'm not supposed to swear i'm gonna really <laughs> i'm gonna really effing get into <laughs> i will bleep out the f- okay thank you <laughs> thanks can you do that never mind yes well can, i mean like can you do that like when you're explaining that you'll bleep out the f- like i can bleep out the bleep or you know yeah. like that'd be fun it actually this whole podcast is just gonna be beeps except when i say something <laughs> smart just, how do you feel about that caroline Beep. Beep. Good. Okay, so chapter three is the first 
party that you are invited to as the reader and that uh, gross. that Nick is Rudy. sorry that Nick is invited to but uh, with Gatsby and it's so fun like visually so fun and he meets all like this whole cast of characters it's the first time he sees this new money kind of put into action because his friends are of course old money the Buchanans are very old American money and that Tom went to Yale with Nick which is on Yale versus Harvard weekend very significant to me because I hate Harvard and so I'm really pulling for Nick this week thanks so that's a Massachusetts joke <laughs> so at okay. this party he's Nick is introduced to this new wealth he meets a whole like I said a cast of characters especially Owl Eyes who is this kind of old man who's astounded that all the books in the library are actual books and uh, he finds that very sobering in this kind of ridiculous party society that they're kind of living in. It's also the introduction of Gatsby himself, who Nick does not realize is Gatsby because he's a very normal-looking man and uh, a fellow soldier. And that's how he's introduced to him, as a fellow soldier, and then he realizes that it's Gatsby after he's introduced. And there's this very interesting dichotomy from at the beginning of the party and the end of the party, where at the beginning everyone's having fun and they're having basically the best night ever and then at the end of it everyone's crying and fighting um um we can relatable which is that's relatable in i guess that's just how parties kind of be but yeah. <laughs> i just like that i don't know if there's very much to say on that particular chapter other than i just love it oh i there it's, is something i say visually stunning it's visually stunning and which there is, is something i want to say awesome and, to say about a book i know oh i know um there is something I want to say, and it's this idea that's been recently introduced to me by one of my uh, classmates here, and that's this idea that Gatsby is black, and then with that, the role of race in The Great Gatsby. Do you want to get into this? Definitely. Absolutely. Okay. I think you okay. are the person who introduced me yes. to this yes, as it's, well, it's and I concept, do really enjoy it. It's a concept that I never even considered. I just knew that F. Scott Fitzgerald was wildly racist. Uh, as were like everyone in the 20s, but F. Scott Fitzgerald is like very unapologetically racist. And uh, there's this kind of idea of racism in The Great Gatsby through Tom Buchanan. And this kind of, and Tom Buchanan's kind of like disdain for jazz music. And he also references, oh, uh, what book is it? I don't remember, but it's about the, the yeah, scientific. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a, not, yeah, yeah, it's like eugenics kind of. Yes, it, right. it was a book on a scientific explanation, a pseudoscience about, about the, the racial superiority of, of white people. Right. And it's interesting to me because Nick, like, totally brushes him yes. off. Like, totally and completely in his narration. is Very like, interesting. And then Tom was dumb and talking about how, how he's so racist, yeah. that dumb so racist guy. So I've got guy. a couple points for why there might be... There's an idea that Jay Gatsby is black. One is that there's this reference that he has 40 acres worth of land, which historically, after the Civil War, black people were given 40 acres and a mule. As like right, kind of, that was the idea. Right, that, like yeah. it's, it wasn't, it didn't work, but that's what they it, said. It also didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't yeah. happen, but like in law, that's so like that kind of forty acres idea. There's it was also, yeah, it was a radical Republican idea. Right, that never. Uh, actually there's happened. these ties. Gatsby has a couple ties to New Orleans, and a very uh, uh, bootlegging itself is a very New Orleanian kind of idea. So that's kind of where another idea came from. Uh, there's also his love for jazz and how jazz is so um, integrated in the Gatsby parties 
and then there's this color yellow which apparently I haven't I've never heard this before but a professor mentioned it yellow is a very significant color in race dynamics where yellow is seen as kind of between black and white and so oh, there's this yellow okay. car and it's like is Jay Gatsby like white passing or something and then he has very close cropped hair uh, and then the biggest idea overall, I believe, is that Jay Gatsby is so obsessed with this American dream. So yeah. that's all I got there. This is a very new concept to me, but I thought it was really interesting. And yeah, it's, a it's lot definitely of, worth you a lot, note. Yeah, it's a big note, and there's a lot of fantastic essays on it that I've been reading. Uh, yes, I, I actually I want to read some of those. Yes. It, it brings up the fact that everybody has different ideas and wants to know how he got his money right and the fact that tom is so quick to be like he's probably right. a bootlegger that's all of that kind of yes. points to an idea of just prejudice against gatsby right. and there's for like, seemingly no reason right there's this like prejudice it could be passed as, off as the fact that exactly. he's new money like it could be like as but, simple as just like uh they hate each other just because of like wealth but it could be a little bit more relevant in a reason i don't know like a little bit more what's the word i'm looking for serious and why yeah it could be it, it could be a more complex a more complex like wh why tom disdains gatsby so much and there's also this idea that jordan is usually the person who will make notes that make gatsby sound more like he's white but uh, jordan throughout the book is a liar which i think completely right. discredits she her says, she says we're right, all right. white that's here. the line that we're all white here but she's a liar throughout the novel so it's very easy to kind of brush that quote off and use it to mean something else yeah, so that's that's really interesting. It's really interesting. interesting. A girl uh, uh, in one of my classes gave a whole speech on it, and it was very interesting, and I loved it. Chapter awesome. four. So, Do you want me to go? Yeah, sure. There? Chapter four. So that's where Nick becomes friends with Gatsby, and they're hanging out all the time. And you're introduced to the big yellow car, the bodacious yellow uh, Rolls Royce, and they decide to go to lunch together. But there is this very fun scene. Uh, while they're driving to lunch where a police officer attempts to pull over Gatsby and then Gatsby just simply says like hi I'm, I'm Jay Gatsby I'm so sorry and he's let off the hook uh, yes. and then there's the introduction of Wolfsheim who is most likely a bootlegger or at least the owner of like a company that bootlegs and he is a gambler and he's the one who fixed the 1919 World Series, Series which I yeah. think is a very funny joke but uh, Nick Carraway in his love for honesty immediately hates him like yes is and he also very quick like it's a point of hatred, reckoning for yes. nick of understanding that one guy could fix something right. and kind of a reckoning with the again the corruption right. of wealth it's very it's oh man that scene's also good and that's also where it is revealed that this entire time gatsby and daisy have known each other and that they are in love which is kind of the central plot point <laughs> so yeah we that it, it's when it's introduced and it's a very uh interesting love story you have it, or it begins with, at a party in louisville kentucky i think it's kentucky i just know it's louisville that's where daisy lives and uh, a whole bunch of the soldiers stop by to kind of get food and party it out and she meets gatsby and they fall in love and he, then he has to leave and she, while he's left in the war, she becomes engaged to Tom Buchanan and supposedly falls in love with him. So Yeah, I I'm with you, I'm with you. And that is the central the big point. narrative. I love it also because of the way Jordan tells it to, uh, to Nick because she acts like 
me if I knew that like piece of gossip. She's like, you have to meet me at the specific place. It's so good. You're gonna die. And then Nick like has his mind blown. Uh, chapter five is one of the biggest chapters in the book, though. That's where you have the meeting of Daisy and Gatsby, and it's a very funny scene in the movie. Yes, this is the uh, Gatsby has Nick's grass cut for him and has everything perfectly put together, but has uh, had told Nick to invite Daisy over, but not tell her that he was coming over. And it's all very middle school. Yes. Can you very... ask your friend if she likes me? And if so, we'll meet to the left of the jungle gym. We'll meet at during the recess. Sonic across the street. Okay, so My elementary school or middle school did not let us walk um, across the we, street, but please go on. We did, because I lived in lawless country. I, just, I lived in Texas, <laughs> and there was a Sonic across the street from my elementary school. Anyways, uh, this also is when Daisy finally goes into the Gatsby man, uh, mansion, where it's kind of covered at the end of the book, but everything that Gatsby has ever done was done for Daisy. The parties he, were thrown the for Daisy. The parties are for Daisy. The f- alcohol's for Daisy. The stories are for Daisy. Everything's for Daisy. It's the reason he moved across the water from her because of the hopes that one day she might just walk in through the door. So she finally gets introduced to it, and it's a very fun scene. But she has this moment where she talks about how much she loves Gatsby's shirts while she's crying because she's so overcome. And this is where I want to talk about the role of women in Great Gatsby. Awesome. And now for the regular segment, and we've lost the plot, now let's talk about women in insert book here. Yes. So now let's talk about women in this book. So I personally think that Daisy Buchanan gets an unwarranted amount of hatred. I don't think her character is as bad as it is taught. I am inclined to agree with you. (laughs) You better be. Thanks. (laughs) I think I know that the way it was taught to me, and it's a very baseline understanding of Daisy, in my opinion, is that Daisy is materialistic. Yeah, we all are. Next point. You know, they you use it yeah, as a I'm, reason. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I think you. it is an absolutely ridiculous reason to dislike Daisy is because she is attracted to money. We all yes. are. You know who we else? We all are, and that's You know the who point. else was attracted to money? Jay Gatsby. He saw yeah, and, the life if that Daisy bring... was living and wanted it too. Like Yeah, and if we can bring this up, there's literally a line in the book uh, when Nick is calling people about the funeral uh, and people said they couldn't come. He described some of them as people who would m- make fun of Gatsby on the courage of Gatsby's exactly. liquor. It that... is an absolute ridiculous reason. I, you can dislike Daisy for any reason you want, but she is not, she shouldn't be discredited because she's ma- discredited because she's materialistic. That That's is the point. Ridiculous. Yeah. We all are. It's the point of the book. Thanks. Um, and then, yeah, I'm totally with you. and then we get to, she is also often seen as a static character, which I do not agree with either. I think she's she's definitely more static, or she's definitely more static than Nick Carraway, who has the most growth in this whole book. But I think that Daisy is right behind him. I think yeah, that I'm, she I'm comes totally from this. Yeah, I'm totally with you. She comes from this idea of like wanting to be clueless all the time. She has the famous line 
Let me find it. Yeah, and I hope she'll About be a fool. Daughter. That's the best thing a, a girl can be in this world, a beautiful little fool, which is often seen as a very sexist line, and I do not think it really is. I think that she has a point to it. Right, um, and when it, uttered she is, by Daisy, when, it has immense meaning. Yes, she is someone who has been lied to her whole life, and if she thinks that just being ignorant is the more successful way of continuing on, that's fine. She, her husband's cheated on her since the beginning of their relationship. If she wants to be a fool, let her be a fool. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about Myrtle or Jordan? Okay, next? I can talk about probably Jordan. I love her. She doesn't have many lines, and she's not, honestly not very significant to the plot. She just knows everything about everyone, and she's a huge liar, and I love that about her. She's also a golf player. She's so multi-talented. Yes, she's, <laughs> she might quite honestly be my favorite character she's in the a book. Good character. There's something about the her like candor and her she she's, she's like Daisy. She's very intelligent. Yes. Like, that's another thing. Yeah, Daisy is smart on. as she's smart as a whip. I don't know why people discredit her as being dumb. She isn't. She knows exactly what she's doing the whole time, and that's why she. Yeah, and Jordan yeah, does yeah. too. Jordan's so. And Jordan smart. kind of reminds me. This is gonna be weird. I was okay. I was thinking a lot about the the Nolan Batman trilogy lately. Oh my god. Okay. And Jordan reminds yeah, me of Catwoman. I, actually, I, I can see your validity there. You're valid. I, there's just something about... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, there's just something about her that is inherently, like, she is clever and, I, I mean, gossipy. She's clever but, and gossipy and she's, like, sexy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think that that is a way, if we can talk about the relevance in 2017, that that would be a way, in the same way that Daisy is put off for being materialistic... That is a way that a lot of generations between the release of this book and now, that's a tactic that they would use to minimize the power or the quality of the characters of Daisy and Jordan. Yes. But today, I think our generation is pretty good at seeing that Jordan is great because <laughs> she's clever and gossipy and knows what's going she's on. She's a very realistic person, and I love that. A lot of the characters in this book don't feel like they're real people. But Jordan yeah, is and I think that's in, very yes. three-dimensional the whole yes, time. Yes, and maybe that's why I like her so yeah. much. Is you, I, I, We all know a Jordan Baker. Some of us might be her. Like that's, <laughs> I love Yeah, and, and some of us may want to be her. Yes, she's a very, like, and she's absolutely the idealistic woman at the moment. Like, it, like in the 20s, she's what everyone wants to be. And, and she, in she 2017, so. she's kind of what everybody wants to be. I guess be. she's pretty timeless, but like I'm ta- like she's definitely kind of she. They talk about her um, slender physique, like she's kind of this flapper girl, kind of, but not right. but not a flapper. She's just like yeah. But I definitely want like to look at this as how similar this time period and the way it yes. was written about in this book relates to now for our for our generation. So like historically and you know economically we're seeing like the largest gap between the wealthy and the poor in decades and we're also seeing a taking back of sexuality yes. and of intelligence and of power and of being something other than the perfect woman mm-hmm. by women, which I think is something that a lot of the generations between then and now have lost. Yes. I th- yeah, I do think that there's definitely a tie to us and Gatsby, and I 
do maybe that contributes to a reason why people don't love it that much is because it wasn't relatable to their time right and maybe why we hate it is because those That's people are, are the, the ones, ones who, who taught, taught it us. to us yes yeah because it's a damn good book you, okay real fast you mentioned why you you originally hated it but like it now please go into that um so i have um attention issues and for some reason this book never grabbed me and i don't know why it it might be the thing i always say about this book is that it reads like a drum you can read it on a beat because it is such a and it's it was i read it to pull the curtain back i read it last night in two and a half hours it was (laughs) so quick and it something i appreciate appreciate about it now that I didn't like before is how he doesn't Nick as a narrator doesn't talk about anything that's not yes, relevant it's so nice it's every just, single part is important to the plot plot like every yes. single line is relevant and, and I think that's yeah so and for me when I would try to read it earlier in my life I would just get so bogged down by getting so much plot like I would just get so bogged down in reading it and so when I read it this time, it, it was nice to get that just kind of, this is the story, and it's done, okay, bye, in 180 right, pages. Right, right. Oh, man, it's so good. Do you want me to continue with the chapters? We got four left. Um, sure. Why don't we do it a bit quick? Yeah, these are pretty much just, like, wrapping up the plot, because I, yeah. I think the climax is in chapter seven and then it kind of falls from there so chapter right. six is the other par- uh, gatsby has another party and it's completely different from the ones before uh he everyone is just drunk and mean because it's the one where tom is invited to and tom is drunk and mean and there's this idea yes. that one person can change the atmosphere of like the whole story and it's the inter- it's the introduction of tom into this love story so then it goes on to chapter 7, and it's uh, taking place at the, on the hottest day of the year and in East Egg, and everyone goes to New York, including Gatsby, who is invited there by Daisy, and Tom knows that they're cheating, and that, of course, is when Myrtle gets hit by a car at the end of Yes, and actually, kind of if we can talk about... So that scene in, West, in East Egg where everybody is back at the Buchanan's place is a complete mirror of the first time we see that place except now with Gatsby it's Gatsby's introduction again I guess it's playing with this idea that like one person can completely change the atmosphere you see how every character's changed just like enough and how that like it's very tense to read and everyone's like walking on eggshells the whole time because yeah, yeah. no one has admitted out loud that the other is cheating on their spouse. So Right. It's and then very we tense. get into they go to New York and go to the is plaza. that So before Myrtle dies, is that when Tom has his very long uh I have it marked uh, this long rant. Oh, this is another point on the Gatsby is black idea. So um Tom Buchanan is trying to, like, catch Gatsby. And at one point he says, self-control. I suppose the latest thing is to sit back and let Mr. Nobody from nowhere make love to your wife. Well, if that's the idea, you can count me out. Nowadays people begin by sneering at family life and family institutions, and next they'll throw everything overboard and have intermarriage between black and white. Flushed with his impassioned gibberish, he saw himself standing alone on the last barrier of civilization. 
and that's followed by Jordan's line, we're all white here. But that rant is so important, I think, and it and it speaks again to the relevance in 2017 of the conservative idea that people are sneering at family life and family institutions. That, I, I swear to God. And that they are I've, standing on the last barrier of civilization. Yeah, I, do, I believe that uh, this entire scene reads like a, a Thanksgiving at my home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with everyone kind of staring and watching as someone else says something terrible. Uh, yeah absolutely again it's just uh, it's a very timeless story you could hear that conversation again come out of just about any conservative's mouth right now I Hmm. again interesting that (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, so then Myrtle dies I forgot like the big thing Myrtle dies but also Daisy says she doesn't love Gatsby and she doesn't love Tom right and that is so important. And yeah, it's, and it speaks to Daisy's it growth. It does, and people use it to describe her as being materialistic, and I don't think that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> women she, are allowed to reject men without sure it being written off yeah, as materialistic. I'm pretty sure she just doesn't love them. It's cool that they all got her stuff, but I think that she's completely okay in her choice to just not like them anymore. That's, that's cool. Tom's the yeah, worst. Yeah, and to indict somebody as materialistic right after they have stayed true to their own feelings right. even after getting gifts like, i think tom's kind of the worst person ever and gatsby uh is obsessed with her and their love yeah. so i think it's pretty okay if uh she says that she doesn't want to be around them anymore absolutely yeah i'm totally Thanks, with Daisy. you i love you <laughs> so after this uh daisy and gatsby go back to go back to the right. eggs uh running into myrtle along the way and completely devastating Tom because Tom. Tom realizes that he's losing just about everything and that right, puts the him two on a women pretty, in his life he's lost control a, of. yeah that he wants to be in control the whole time particularly particularly of women yes Tom which is if a disgusting character and every yes, time so, I read any word from him I get uh, nauseous yeah so can we uh, real quick the end of the book uh, it ends with Gatsby getting shot by Myrtle's husband, Listen. who thinks that that Gatsby was the one who Myrtle was cheating on him with, which we find out at the end that that is because Tom told right. him who owned the car that killed Myrtle, and he is convinced that whoever killed Myrtle did it on purpose, tie up the loose end that she presented as a mistress. Right. So he goes to Gatsby's place and shoots and kills Gatsby, and Nick is left to kind of set up the funeral, and he meets Gatsby's father, who reveals that his real name was James Gatz. Or no, sorry, does not reveal, but his father, whose last name is Gatz, comes to the funeral. And and we spend a lot of time with him for somebody who isn't that much, uh, well, isn't very important I to the story. I believe that we spend that much time with him because no one goes to Gatsby's funeral. And yes, that is uh, which a is, tragic uh, and part of the tale is that Gat- Jay Gatsby is the most popular man in New York City and no one attended his funeral because they just, they don't really care about him. They just cared about what he offered to them. Yeah, and I parties. feel like that has some relevance right now. I think that sure. it can be relevant today because you can be you can become obsessed with someone online specifically. It can be anywhere, but online specifically, that's kind of the new thing. And they ha- and you can be obsessed with them and you can love what they give you, but that's like you don't have to 
give them anything for it. And that makes them in some ways yeah, disposable. Yeah, and that adds to, again, this disposability of people. The, and oh, I am like always the person who comes to speak in favor of social media, yes. you know, but I think that a point like that is so it, it is definitely I'm gonna tell not one of those I'm gonna tell y'all baseless where this, indictments yeah, of social media right I'm gonna tell y'all where this uh, podcast stands we love social media but that does not mean that social media loves us we, yeah, absolutely. Ha- social media definitely has its flaws that can be extremely harmful to others and yeah I think and not to say that they created those problems it's just since obviously they existed in 1920s. It's just how we be. It's just how humans be. It's just it's just how we be. It's um, just so how now we that be. we've gotten through the story of Gatsby, uh, there's one very important point that I want to talk about that you started to bring up with the fact that you get nauseous whenever Tom speaks. Are we talking and about that's how the role Tom? of men Mascul- and yeah, masculinity, masculinity Ooh, in Gatsby. Yes, it is painful. There are some moments where you're just yuck. <laughs> Yeah, so we have we have three male characters that are with us throughout the book of Nick, Tom, and Gatsby, and they represent three totally different aspects of masculinity. Yes, both with and all three of them have toxic aspects to their masculinity. Tom more so than Gatsby and Nick, but they definitely all I think have Tom it. is the most obvious uh right it, with, he, he is, has the most obvious toxicity out of all of them right but like he's so Nick insecure in his masculinity yeah. that he needs control over the two women in his life the fact that he is not contented with the woman who he has vowed to spend his life with monogamously and so starts this whole ruse to uh, cheat on her and the fact that he is so insecure with his own masculinity that he needs to resort to full-on pseudoscientific racism yes. and he's... it is all the ways that toxic masculinity comes out in the worst way not to mention up he's, until today he's increasingly or excessively violent and his anger is very quick to ignite throughout yes. the story and he sees yes, that as he's very proud of the fact that he can punch a woman in the nose and break yes, it that is absolutely. he has no qualms with that i think that gatsby or how do you see gatsby's masculinity gatsby has created a fiction about yes. daisy it is a so, fiction i want to emphasize that this is not a relationship that you should strive for for the most part daisy has moved on from this idea with yes. gatsby but gatsby was obsessed with her Absolutely, and uh, Nick even acknowledges at one point that Daisy will have to fall from this pedestal by no fault of her own, right. but by the uh, incredible sensationalism of the fiction that he right. has created. And, I mean, that's very present today with the idea of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl yes. or Daisy. really any woman in... Right, Daisy was the original <laughs> Daisy Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Daisy Buchanan's the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But really... A lot of the time, in any romantic relationship, and I definitely think it has a predisposition to... We, we have a predisposition to doing this with, uh, with a woman, but it definitely can happen in other ways, too, of putting a person so high up on a pedestal and believing that they're perfect for you or that they're just perfect. And so the when they begin to be human, as all humans are and they have flaws like every other right. human that is, people can see that as a falling from grace and falling from perfection is, worthy of of breaking up or worthy of abuse which nothing is worthy right. of abuse that was very eloquent 
Uh, Thank I, you. <laughs> I also want to add, so for the record, Tom Buchanan is the equivalent of, like, a frat guy. And, and James Jay Gatsby is a hopeless romantic film bro. Friend zoned. <laughs> he friend, oh. she friend zoned me. That's Who James thinks that Gatsby. he is inherently better than than Buchan than yes. Tom just because he's not exactly. racist. Exactly. He he thinks that he's without. Oh my god. He thinks he's and, without flaw uh, flaw because he at least isn't uh it, like visually terrible. Yeah. I, but he is just as bad. Terrible. And I think we definitely need to talk about Nick Carraway's masculinity as yes. well in the way that it represses the differentness of his sexuality in the way that he sees himself as, again, somehow a god of this story by being able to tell it. Right. The way he, like, is so eloquent in his narration in a way to show off to the reader, but then when he speaks, it's he speaks like exactly. a normal dude. Exactly. I would say that... Uh, he's the equivalent of a Rick and Morty fan. Christ! We just <laughs> lost all of our listeners. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> listeners. Nick Carraway loves the Szechuan sauce and waited in line for it yeah. for four hours. But I definitely think this, uh, he, he represents the idea of uh, like a sapiosexual. Yes. Somebody who who <laughs> thinks himself better just because they're super intellectual and <laughs> yeah. have have big questions about I'm life. I'm sure that if you were given a dollar for every single time Nick Carraway mentioned that he went to Yale... Uh, you would be a millionaire by the end of the story. It's, yes. It is a very important point. Okay, well, awesome. I think <laughs> we're going to end discussion there. Do you have your your favorite quote? I have three that I have to go and look for right now. So that now. means I'm going to go first, because I have okay, mine, because I forgot to do this, and then I remembered to do it. So I think that there's a lot of really good quotes in this story. I think there's a lot of very romantic uh, notes or mm-hmm. there's a lot of romantic lines, but I don't think that they should necessarily be told to you because I do think the romances in the story are very ridiculous and not to be uh, wanted. So I tried to kind of avoid a romantic quote, and that was, I was within and without, simultaneously enchanted and repelled by the inexhaustible variety of life. I think that's very well done, and I think it's very poignant. And I really like the way Toby Maguire says it. And the 2013 hmm. adaptation of The Great Gatsby. <laughs> awesome. Um, I have one. Okay, yeah, I'll go for... I. Mine is not that serious this week. I mean, it kind of <laughs> is, but there is a point. It's on page 88 when <laughs> Nick says, Americans, while occasionally willing to be serfs, have always been obstinate about being oh, peasantry. damn, Nick. Yeah, and I think it, it speaks to the privilege aspect of the book while I also talking about how specific that conversation is yes, to America. I think, that, that, I think it's a very relevant quote and I think it's very But I also want to read like to you this this one fine. which I seem to find in every book okay, go. and by that I mean the two books we've read so far and I, I think we'll end the podcast here uh, after I read this we'll go into like thanks yeah. for listening and all that stuff. There was so much to read for one thing and so much fine health to be pulled down out of the young breath giving air. It's <laughs> a good um, one. That's a good one. And there is still so much to read. This has been episode two of We've Lost the Plot, a book podcast. I've been I've Devin. Been Caroline.
And please, if you guys enjoyed this episode or our last episode, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and, or on Google Play Music. And rate or, us. Yes, absolutely rate us. It helps us to reach more people. And I have some homework for you guys. That homework is to tell a friend about this podcast that you think would be they interested in it. will give you bonus points if you follow us on Twitter at, at @lostthepotpod. It's cooperated by me and Devin, and it's so much fun. And it's awful. Hey, y'all. It is everybody's favorite host of We've Lost the Plot, future Devin here. I just wanted to jump in because, once again, we messed up the outro. Next episode's book which will be going up on December 19th, will be To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. We're going to have our first guest on that episode. That guest will be Brianna Wright, who is my sister and a great lady, and she has a lot of good things to say about this book, so I'm very excited. Uh, Sorry we went a bit over. Uh, The guest episodes will be around an hour each. There'll be about 30 minutes of me and Caro talking, and then 30 minutes of us talking with the guest. Uh, the ones without a guest will usually be about 45 minutes. We just had a lot to say about Great Gatsby. But uh, once again, please follow us on Twitter at, at LostThePlotPod and like us on Facebook at our new Facebook page, facebook.com slash LostThePlotPod. And you can rate us on iTunes and tell a friend. That is the best way to get this podcast out there. I wanted to thank you so much for the reception of the first episode. Uh, We got a lot of good comments about it, and I'm very excited for you guys to continue listening to us and participating in this very exciting discussion about great books. Yeah, so thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.